everybody. It's the H Word Podcast. Hi, everyone. Hi, I'm Becky. And I am Dan. Here we are, back in the saddle. That's right. <laughs> another week, another um, dollar. Uh-huh, one more dollar. How are you doing, Dan? Okay. Um, nothing to report, news-wise. Uh, a fairly good week. Oh, good. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like on a personal level? Yeah. <gasps> Did you get a work offer like the tarot card said? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still coming. Don't worry. It's, it felt like it was further in the future. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It truly, it did, but I can't prove that now, so. <laughs> proof is off the table. It's, there's no pudding, no proof. Um, do you want to get into some segments? Oh, please. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to start off with a plug portion. Mm. Usually comes at the end. Um, uh, do you have anything to plug? Uh, absolutely not. That's not true. What do I have to plug? Aren't you in, um, Gale Pyle? Oh, Gale Pyle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That came out, uh, today. Um, Gale Pyle Season 5, The Amazing Gale Pyle. It's, uh, made by a bunch of local Toronto weirdos. Yep. And they were, uh, nice enough to offer me a part in the newest season. Yeah, and it... The final season, I'm told. Well, I will say that I was in the last season, mm. and they called that the final season, too. So anything's possible <laughs> with Gail Pyle. In fact, well, I don't want to spoiler it in case you haven't seen the whole thing, but season five ends with a bang, and it seems like the end. <laughs> <laughs> and here comes season six. It's amazing. Six seasons of this. So it's on CBC Gem. And Wait, you- season- no, I think I think the current season is season five. You were in season four. All right. <laughs> yeah. I don't totally uh, believe you. Yeah. So season four ends with a bang. Season five is post bang. And I don't um, know how it ends because I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. Well, check it out. Everybody dig in. Um, here's my plug. Great. Is um, I was in a three part audio drama trilogy called Metamorphosis, a viral trilogy. It's written by Andre Alexis, who's a Giller winning writer. Wow. Produced by Volcano Theater here in Toronto. And um, so on the day that this comes out, this podcast, so does my episode called Carrie Wonders. And the three different episodes are all coming out in conjunction with different Toronto institutions. So the one that came out this week, which I listened to and it's wonderful, starring Bahia Watson, is um, through TO Live, Mine's Through Summerworks, and then I think Canadian Stage is the last one starring Diana LeBlanc. So... Um, check it out online. We'll put links. It's super cool. I got to do a project in quarantine. Amazing. I know. Uh, and I'm very excited. And it's, it's, there's a Devashish Sinha is the sound designer and mixer. So like whatever I recorded, it's like when you, when things go into editing or get like motion graphics added to them or like stuff, I just don't know what he's put in there. Oh, you haven't heard anything. Mm-mm. So I'll get Exciting. to hear it with everyone else. Um, so plugs. Cool. Done. And uh, next segment is the weather. Uh-huh. Uh, touch and go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is generally nice because, you know, we don't have to go outdoors that much, you and I, these days. You and I. Except for today. Uh, we're, we're, we, there's like an outdoor screening of a movie. Want to go to it. I don't know. Maybe it's going to rain. Um, I'm bringing my tarp all in if you want to join me on the tarp. And... <laughs> <laughs> Join Becky on her tarpaulin. <laughs> uh, I think we can only have one couple, as the rules go. It's about 10 feet long. Um, I, I went to a drive-in movie last night. <gasps> Whoa, yeah. what a weekend yeah. of movies. I know. It's movie time. What'd you go see? Oh, it was brutal. Was it, it was the new Russell Crowe vehicle, and pun intended with vehicle. It's all about road rage, and it's called <laughs> Unhinged. Wow. Uh, and it is garbage. Well, just utter utter trash. Here's that's a new segment then, which is called um, Dan's Cinema Trash Talk or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something like that. That's what it's called. I think we could workshop the name. Yeah, Dan, Dan's whatever. Like throw it in the garbage with Dan Byrne. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's a movie. <laughs> yeah, throw it in the garbage with Dan Byrne, and it's a movie. Well, actually, Dan, if there's anything you want to throw in the garbage, I think you can report about it on the podcast. Okay. Uh, nothing else for today. But just, um, what's it called? Unhinged. Unhinged. 
It just feels like now, like with drive-ins kind of coming back into vogue, that they could like just play E.T. Right. And that seems to be like, it's like this place had three screens and it seems like that's what they do on one of the screens. It's just when we, the only day we could go was last night and the only thing playing basically was this. So it was like, okay, it's just. Buckle up and see Unhinged. But um, it uh, was a very fun experience. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Also, I should not be encouraging only second run films because we want to be in those new movies. We Everyone should want to see new <laughs> movies. What am I doing? <laughs> Russell, honestly, if you want to, I don't know, run me over yeah. with a car or explode me, I need the work. <laughs> <laughs> he does run over some people with cars. Yeah. Do it to me. Yeah. I think you could just do it for real now. I don't think the unions care anymore. They just want to get us paid. Yeah. Hey, technically, it's work. Yeah. Kill them. <laughs> Kill them. We don't have to pay severance. Um, let's see. Oh, another segment, podcasts that I haven't listened to. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to give myself a new challenge because we'll see. But but this one was really great. I listened to Nostalgique, which is um, Abba Amaquando and Ben Sosa Wright's podcast. Mm-hmm. It's so they're quite a bit younger than you and I, and they talk about <laughs> stuff they're nostalgic about, but they're nostalgic about things that like I didn't know about and haven't heard of to a certain extent. <laughs> and they're not yeah, like early TikTok. Yeah, or, there was something. Okay, so I listened to the episode about Feist because I was like, oh, I know Feist, and there's great stories, and like they're wonderfully charming. And I'm like, well, I know the music they'll be talking about, but all the sort of drifting off. Abba was talking about this thing. Now I can't remember what it was, but it was some sort of like, you could watch music videos on it or movies on it. And it was an, it was an Apple product, like a, <laughs> like an iMovie cube or something. What? I'd never heard of it. An iPod video? Sure. Is that a thing? Yes, it was. Yeah. I'd never heard of this thing. Okay. But like, she was like, this is like a big deal, a gift. And then... She watched Napoleon Dynamite on it. <laughs> so that's the era of it. I'd never heard of this thing. And like, so I will say, like, like listening to Riverdale Rude Dudes and not having watched Riverdale in a while, I was like, it's when people are speaking nostalgically about stuff you understand, you're like, yeah, yeah, wasn't it? But when you're trying to now picture the thing that they're describing, that's fun too. Mm. Mm-hmm. The picture in my head, I actually haven't looked this thing up. The picture in my head is like, it's kind of like a, a cartoon drawing that you watch a movie on. <laughs> it's like a marshmallow with like a screen in it in my mind <laughs> a big marshmallow well, the ipod video was not dissimilar to that it was kind of like a crushed marshmallow with a very small screen that could play videos like teeny like a watch no not that small um like an iWatch, apple watch whatever they're called see i don't even know what the new things are yeah it's just called an apple watch yeah, yeah. like would the screen be that size uh, no, a bit bigger than that. I mean, if you want to listen to a description of this by them, that's also in their episode. <laughs> <laughs> you can picture it in your head any way you want. But it was, yeah. it was charming and it was wonderful. Like, and it, and it really, it was one of those podcasts that like has that feeling of, um, like conspiratorial, like you're getting to listen to people just chit chat, like two buddies. And there's other ones mm-hmm. with guests. I will listen to more. Okay. But thumbs up on nostalgic. Yeah. And now I, I've gone three for three and I've been thumbs up on all of them. <laughs> and so I think I it's should... not it's not Becky throws a podcast in the garbage segment. No, that's your job. Yeah. And I kind of was like, you know, three's the charm. I don't really want to tempt fate and have to say some one of my friends' podcasts is bad. Uh-huh. Why would I do that? Right. But, so we're gonna close the segment here at three. Yeah, and we'll see what happens. Segments okay. are on the H word loose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Does it I'm having the feeling right now, like this very eye of the storm feeling about Tor- yes. Toronto and the pandemic. Yes. Toronto and the pandemic or uh, like, okay. I mean, it's, it's very bad in some other places already, you know. Oh, but you think the pandemic is, is going gonna, is gonna to just, yeah, I mean, with school, right? Well, even before that, the fact that we've opened up all these indoor spaces in August. So what's happening is... And this, I guess I have shifted to just paying attention to the virus again, because we were down to like, in Toronto, like five cases a day, under 10. Now we're, how many weeks? We're three weeks into opening, right on schedule, right up to 40 cases. And it's been ticking up. And there was a big event at a strip club, like a big super spreader event over four days. Mm -hmm. Somebody was there working and who, who was ill or 
but they might not have had symptoms. And um, 550 people had to be contacted. And they were contacted 10 days after the first day that employee was working infected. Yeah, that's a that's a big that's a big. And problem. I'm not blaming the brass rail, but like it's just indicative of what's out there now. Mm-hmm. That could be a grocery store. That could be anywhere. Yeah. But that's concerning me as we're about to send kids back to school. It just feels like oh, we we had it so good compared to other places. Yeah, and this is this is what I heard early on. This I heard this prediction, and it's yeah. hard to it's hard to imagine it sort of playing out as as accurately as it was predicted then. But it's like, yeah, the summer is going to be okay, and then it's gonna it's gonna hit back in the wind in the fall. And it's like, I just think the idea of second wave is like misleading because it's like you're making the mistake. It's not like this is a wave hitting you out of your control. Um, yeah, there's two sides to it. One is that we do move indoors more in the fall, which just will happen and so and services have to happen indoors to a certain extent. Yeah. But th- then there's this other side where it's like, no, we made this choice. The government decided not to help businesses, you know? Yeah. Also, um, I will say some of these businesses, it's like, think about who you're voting into power then. When you think you don't like the left-wing socialists because you don't want to pay more taxes, please understand what those taxes are for and it's this. Yeah. It should be, anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I'm really having that feeling like I got glasses because I was like, who knows when I'll have a chance to do that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the feeling. Yeah. I'm also feeling that. I'm feeling um, I'm feeling a bit like resigned to enjoying it, like not congregating or anything like that, but just like allowing myself to be like, okay, like cases are low and they're like starting to grow slightly but it's like you know take these last few gasps of air because we're going back under yeah and i think actually i think that's part of the feeling that's also driving people indoors like you know let's and itar and i were talking about this where he's like people want it to be normal they want it to be back to normal mm-hmm. and you know i do too i i also want to have time with my friends the difference is i'm like i let's go to the park or let's go to the beach and sit far apart and talk to each other not let's go to back to bars. Mm-hmm. And I, I understand businesses need to stay afloat to a certain extent, but I also think for me, I mean, we both have small kids in our lives, school-age children, not in our direct lives, but in our greater lives. And like, that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. I'm thinking about teachers too. I, we have teachers in our lives and friends who are not going back to work because they're scared. They're, well, teachers have to go back to work. Um, not all. Not all. Supply teachers don't. People are pulling themselves out of the workforce because they're scared or they live with elderly family members or whatever. Teachers are full on quitting. Um, I mean, I'm just no anecdotal stuff from friends of mine, but supply teachers have to sign up to get into the system. They book in and book out. Sure, yeah. Right, right. You know? Mm Mm-hmm. There's so many situations. I don't know what the teachers union is doing as far as like, well, what if you live with elderly people or immunocompromised people? I yeah, mean, I guess to I was, begin with, teachers, like, are exposed to so much illness anyway. They're constantly sure. sick. Sure, but that's not, I mean. That's not that's this, not, but I'm just working yeah. through, the, I'm just working through the thought process of a union that would have to protect them every time they got sick completely. Well, you should. I don't know. Yeah. I, I was talking with someone about this this week, and I still feel this way that it's just going to be one of these things that there's going to be so many problems so quickly that it. I, it can't last. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I would, I would wager it'll be stopped within a month. Yeah, I hope so. Because I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeing pictures of teachers going to schools already because they have to start setting up and prepping and stuff, and the situation just being completely ludicrous. Like desks packed in, and then being like, "This is the required class size. I have to put four more desks in here somehow." It's like, this is the kind of congregation that would be, you know, essentially illegal outside. And it's like, these are grade 11s and 12s. They're almost adults. They're, they're full on, like, they're full on spreaders. Like, the, like the highest distribution of cases, active cases in Ontario at the moment is, um, between 20 and 29, but the second highest is under 20. Yeah. Of active, like, symptomatic cases. I mean, again, this is anecdotal stuff I've heard, but I've also heard that, like, as far as air circulation goes in schools, that, that teachers aren't allowed to prop the doors open because of protocols around active shooter situations. 
Oh boy. I know. The great the great collision. Yeah. Um what's making you feel hopeful? Uh what is making me feel hopeful? Um I don't know. I had a 2-hour therapy session this week. I had a, it was like a it was like eating a king-size chocolate bar. It was a uh a what bar? It was very Oh, what? Like a king? You know when you buy like like a king size chocolate bar and you're like, who is this for? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Oh, I see. Like I thought like, is that fun? (laughs) Well, no. no, Eating a king size chocolate bar is not fun. But this was, this was good. This was great. Um, uh, So that's a very small thing. Good. Um, I have, uh, well, I didn't even get to the radiators in my apartment. I need to post a picture of this because- this week, I don't know. You need to you need to hold our hand through this situation. They're upgrading radiators. Well, when you see the picture, I think that's questionable. But yeah, we got this message being like like message. We got notes taped to our doors saying like for four straight weeks, all day, you have to have all of your radiators cleared off. We're going to come into your apartments and work on them. Now, for perspective, my apartment has seven radiators in it. So like, wow, <laughs> that's disruptive. And also, that's not true. They don't need to be in here constantly. We talked to the people who showed up to work and figured out what days it could be so that we could, like, get things done. No when to be awake and home Four and whatever. weeks. Yeah. It's, anyway. It's unreasonable. So, these guys come in. I don't want to throw shade to the workers who are doing this, but, like, <laughs> I just need to post a picture of what happens. We, we're just, like, going about our business, doing our work, and hearing, like, sawing and drilling and all kinds of stuff. And then I was like, have you seen what's going on? And, like, it looks like the, the upgrade that's been done to these radiators looks like um, like a cartoon that Itor drew. It's like a or it's like a Rube Goldberg machine, like David Lynch kind of <laughs> piping situation. Uh, anyway, we're, we were kind of like, great, fun. We can't put any of our furniture back where it was because it's all this junk. All these tubes are everywhere taking up so much space. It's like Terry Gilliam's Brazil a little bit. Like the tube wow. situation. And then I posted a picture on Instagram being like, by the way, if these are going to kill us, will someone tell us? <laughs> like, please. We don't know what this is. And this person who, uh, who I looked at, who follows me, who makes iron skillets in Detroit out of like reclaimed pipe work and stuff, which is cool as hell, was like, yeah. I have never seen anything like this. Yes, this is bad and dangerous in the long term. This is... That's piping that's meant for gas, not steam or water. It's going to erode and rot out the boiler <laughs> and leak and stuff. What? So they've been doing this to our whole building. And then in, in September, they got to get back in because they're going to test everything. And I definitely have an ap- apocalyptic vision in my mind that in September, at the end of September, they're going to get in here and like everything's going to explode. But that, it wouldn't explode if it just melted the boiler. No, that's a long-term thing. The number of connection points that are on this thing that used to just be like a little bendy uh, cast iron pipe, the amount of yeah. joints in this copper confusion, and there's they're all over the place. Like, it just looks like – it looks like stuff that's done in Cuba, like that that cool DIY tech stuff when, like, you can't get access to the right materials. <laughs> I mean, like, so that's the thing. I and I were like, this is kind of fun, but that's also potentially very irresponsible. Like, <laughs> this is dangerous, though. We will accept wow. a lot of novelty that we shouldn't be accepting. Wow, wow, wow. Um, but my hopeful was a more complicated thing, which is Belarus. You're hopeful, okay. I mean, it's difficult because, um, I mean, what's going on in Belarus right now is quite scary as far as you know, the government, I mean, it's an interest, it's an, it's, um, I don't know, like a harbinger of maybe the United States government power being seized illegally, but they've had like the biggest protests of their history. And it's, so it's double-edged because that's really scary. Um, journalists and actually theater makers, some of whom I've met, I believe, or I've worked with their company, this company have been arrested and they're just rounding people up. Wow. Yeah, so that's quite terrifying. Um, but it's that double-edged hopefulness of protest. Yeah. I mean, just millions of people in the streets. Millions. And yeah. it's very it's very scary. But again, this is that kind of... 
I, I think starry-eyed hopefulness maybe isn't that useful, but you know, watching the pe- watching people come together and seeing solidarity. And when I think about here and the amount that people are clinging to their safety by not standing up or speaking up, mm-hmm. I think look here, and it, maybe it has to be that desperate. But right, watching a country rise up and say no, it's very scary. But Belarus is being seen right now. Mm-hmm. And the problems are being seen. And that's what activism is about, or in protest is about, right? Yeah. Anyway, that was mine. I like it. Do you want to listen to the interview? Yes, please. This week we have Alia Rasool. Cool. Yeah, she's wonderful. I'll let her introduce herself. Um, we talk plants and uh, call-outs and other things like that. Mm. And I love her and she's wonderful. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> okay, bye. Okay, let's check the weather and see if we're going to see each other tonight. Okay, sounds okay. good. <laughs> bye. Okay. Bye. Hi, everybody. It's Becky. I'm back, and I'm joined from across the city by my old buddy, Alia Rasool. Alia, hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for being at home and talking to me. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Just had a nap. Highly recommend those. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of feel like um, I've been in a real space of like, I don't know, 2020 feels like the time between naps to me. Yeah. That's a very good way. That is a very good way to put it. It's hard to tell what's the dream, what's the nightmare. Yeah. Do you have dreams when you nap? Um, No, I, I actually rarely dream. Which is, yeah, I feel like I'm really missing out. Or maybe I'm just having really bad sleep. I don't know. Um, That's interesting. Well, it's a mixed bag. I will say I love my dreams for the most part. And um, Itor does not like his. So you remember them? Because like, so the rare times I do have like dreams, like the more I try to remember them, the more I forget them. Yeah, they. I mean, they do drift away. Um but I've been writing a bunch down lately. They've been really active lately. I just no. wonder. There's a lot going on out there in yeah. the world <laughs> to process, I guess. Yeah. Lots of dreams about friends and dreams about, like, being at parties. Oh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I do. You know what? I do miss a party. Although, like, I'm, I'm kind of a homebody, which – well, or maybe, like, I was always a homebody, um, but – before the pandemic, I was always out and I didn't really love my home that much, maybe. Mm. But now that like I've had to be here for what, like, I don't know. I don't know how long. Is it four months now? Five months? I've had Five. like really, yeah. yeah, wild. I've had like the chance to really make my home like a real home. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I really love it. I think before I was just escaping like the clutter that was my home or like the college dorm room that was my home. Um, yeah, I've seen the pictures. Yeah, it's like it's uh, been um, it's amazing, like how much some thought and effort can do, <laughs> and like fifty-two plants, you know, small difference. Did you go from zero plants to fifty-two? Yeah, I did. I really, <laughs> I really committed very hard for a few weeks there, and then I got to a point where I was just like, I've gone too far. <laughs> yeah, it becomes hard also then when like, because we're, we're locked down for a while and we're going to stay like this to a certain degree for a while. But like, then your your home is like, it depends on you. <laughs> I know. I was like just riffing with someone the other day and I was like, hey, let's just let's just go to Montreal. And they're like, what are you going to do with your plants? They would die. And I'm like, oh, that's something I never thought about. You got to get a camper. Or, I know. <laughs> Fill it with all your plant babies. <laughs> I should bring them with me. But yeah, there's some of them are very sensitive. Like, um, I don't know. It's weird. I, okay. So the whole plant thing um, was, was just like kind of with the intention of like bringing more joy and like sort of such a weird, weird world. And, uh-huh. and it's been great, you know? Um, and also like caring for them has really been sort of like a daily practice in self-compassion, um, and feeling really invested in, you know, yeah. in their well-being kind of reminds you like, oh, maybe I should, I should drink more water, you know, or like, oh, I shouldn't be out in the sun that long because, you know, you can see the direct impacts it has on the plants. So 
So it's been really cool. But then there are days where I'm like, I just don't feel like watering 52 plants today. Do you water your plants every day or they're all on different rotations? They're on different rotations, but it's like rather than remembering different rotations, I kind of do a quick check on all of them anyway. So it's like in the morning, I just do my rounds once <laughs> to do it. Say hello like, to the neighborhood. Just, yeah, check, check on my tomato. You know, like <laughs> each plant has its own drama. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Who are the real divas in the crew? You know, I already lost one. So the fiddle leaf fig, which I'm sure, which is very well documented on social media. <gasps> oh, you <laughs> lost. Okay, I lost mine, too. We were texting about this. Yeah. So, like, I bought this fiddle leaf fig, which was, like, my first big, big, like, plant purchase. Because I got a mature one mm-hmm. and uh, it cost a bit of money. It was for my birthday. So, um, but like what I didn't know, and that's my fault, um, when I purchased this is that it's one of the most finicky plants ever on the planet. So literally like a week after, two weeks after I got, it started like dropping leaves. So at first I was like, oh, because the transportation, you know, being from, you know, having been moved from the nursery to like another place, like kind of shocks them and everything shocks them. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, let's see. And then it just kept happening. And then they were like, oh, maybe it's root rot. And then so I changed the, um, I changed the, uh, the soil. Yeah. And I saw the picture of when you moved it and it was still kicking. Like it wasn't gone yet. Yeah. It was still, it was still great. And then like after maybe two weeks and it started turning yellow, I'm guessing because the roots, there weren't enough roots. I cut off too many, not enough nutrition. Anyway, I just couldn't handle the stress anymore. <laughs> Um, and actually, like, um, um, Adam Niebergall from Tony Ho, yep. who um, who we kind of connected over plants. <laughs> he's, he's, oh. a partner. he's like a fellow comedian, but, but he was like, you know what? Like, you should try basically try propagating it. Um, try to save what, <laughs> what can still be salvaged, right? That sounds so, intense. Yeah. So I basically have, like, four branches of the of the tree in water right now hoping one of them at least will root and that way not all is lost and they've been they've been in water for like maybe two three weeks now we seem fine but it, uh, i think it takes quite a while before they root well maybe i'll take so. my fig stick and put it in water and see mine <laughs> yeah I went, I, one of them, all the leaves fell off, and then I got, I got smaller ones, because I did not trust myself, and then I got a second one, and it was doing fine for a while, and then I put it outside for a couple days. Oh, yeah. And it, it never really recovered, but then it sort of, it sort of, like, fell over, died, and then a big mushroom grew out of the pot, and then that was it. It was very weird. Oh. <laughs> it's a mushroom, like, well, what's the mushroom's deal? <laughs> It just went away. It's just like a mushroom just shot up and then it was like gone. I don't know where these mushrooms are coming from. They're growing in some of my outdoor pots too. That's <laughs> wild. I know, it's <laughs> um, Alia, I, you normally off the top get my guests to introduce themselves. So let's do that now. In your, oh, own, yeah. in your own words, who are you in this world? Yeah, um, I'm Alia Rasool. Uh, I'm a comedian. I'm a member of the Tito Collective, which is a... An all Filipina multidisciplinary um, comedy group based in Toronto. Um, other than that, uh, I'm inclusion director at Bad Dog Theater, and you can follow me at Alirasul to follow all of my plant drama on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, at Bad Dog, you guys just wrapped up like a weekend of. The Diversity and Inclusion Symposium? Is that how we call yeah. it? Say? Yeah. Um, officially, it's Our Cities on Our Stages. So this year was our fifth. Um, yeah, it was our fifth annual Inclusion and Diversity Symposium. And this is the first year that it's online because, you know, everything's going online now. And you know what? It's act- it was actually the best yeah. it has ever been. Like, it was the most well attended. Um, we really got to bring in people from across North America to, you know, uh, to, to attend as well as to like be a part of the panels and the workshops, which was really neat. Um, yeah, I'm kind of kicking myself a little bit to be honest. I'm like, Oh, it should have just been online this whole time. But you know what? Sometimes there's just the right time for things. And I think this was, this was it for that symposium. (laughs) 
Yeah, and and I mean, like it didn't. It's been interesting. This this conversation's come up a few times in the past few weeks on the podcast about just um, this sort of digital time, Zoom time being much more inclusive. Mm-hmm. It's ripped down a bunch of barriers. I will say mm-hmm. though, like the Zoom kind of after party things are mm-hmm. there's some there's an organic thing missing where you just sort of can't get into one on one conversations with people and yeah, everyone's talking to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's sort of, I, I guess that's the part of festivals that, yeah, like the hanging out at the bar or at the dance floor at Bad Dog, where you get to meet, you get to really like sit down with someone who said something really cool. I wonder what the Zoom, I wonder what the etiquette for that now is. I guess you can always reach out to them. <laughs> yeah, maybe it needs to evolve into that so that, because, you know, we've talked about how there's staircases in all these venues. So like, I've met people to whom the staircases were a barrier during the past few months in our community. Yeah. So, like, maybe there is a way to do it online. Yeah. Um, hey, Elia, how are you feeling about the world these days? <laughs> oh, <laughs> how am I feeling about the world? Um, you know what? I'm so tired of uh, feeling like I could get sick at any time. Uh-huh. Um... But, and, and like, you know, I just wish that like the pandemic didn't exist anymore. Um, and also, you know, everything else <laughs> with, <laughs> with like Black Lives Matter and, you know, this is for Breonna Taylor and, you know, there's just like a lot. And I think I'm overwhelmed, but at the same time, I'm really grateful for a lot of things that have happened in the last few months. Like there mm-hmm. have been some really cool things like personally and for the world. So for example, like a lot of the inclusion and diversity conversations, which is like, we've, we've had these conversations for years and years and years, specifically in like, well, we're both in, in the comedy community. Yep. And, and like now, um, now it's sort of like gaining more importance. I mean, I don't know <laughs> if I should be sad, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I am grateful for the momentum and for the importance that, um, that is being placed on that um, these days. Yeah. So as, as difficult as it is, like, I think, I think it's a really, it's really good that people are being confronted with it now. And people, people seem to be making like braver, more vulnerable decisions, which is also very inspiring, you know? So people are starting to call in or call out people, uh, members of their community. Um, people are starting to be more mindful about, um, you know, who, who is like leading uh, the institutions that they're a part of. Yep. So it seems like people are really taking, um, uh, taking better care of that or being better stewards of their own community. And, and it's like, there's a lot of growing pains for oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. This stuff is really exhausting, but you know, we only get better the more we have them. I think before it was really hard just having the conversation in the first place because people didn't, didn't want to give it the light of day. So I'm grateful for that. Um, so that's like from a, like just a macro level, but on a micro level, like I also think that the world just needed to slow down, yeah. slow down. Like I personally, like I know everyone, like a lot of people are struggling at this time, obviously like, you know, economic reasons, like mental health and things like that. But, um, like the few folks that I have talked to about this, we're like, you know what? They're, I think, I think this really gives me a chance to really reflect on how I want to move forward, which is great. Yeah. There's something interesting. There's a few interesting, or there's a few things in what you said that I'd, I'd like to kind of unpack more. One is that, you know, the being listened to more or certain messages being heard more also highlights the fact that they weren't before. And that can be painful. And there's that question of how much, how much do we look back at and and to what extent is it useful? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mm-hmm. mean? Um, so look back and what do you mean? Yeah, it's like, it's like, um, I guess it's like once someone's shown up to the fight, yes, you ha- you absolutely have to be accountable for your past harms and action. But also the other side of it is like, well, maybe let's just not worry about the fact that you weren't listening until now because now you're here. Yeah. Yeah, and I think everyone comes to that conversation with their own thing. So, right. I mean, um, I think accountability is sort of the whole thing. Like, it's, I mean, no one really sh- gets a clean slate, right? Right. And uh, a part of being um, uh, an act, 
active member in that conversation is like being accountable because then how can like it because that's also like a, a strength of like do you have like have you done the work and a big big part of doing the work is being able to recognize the harms that you have done in the past and being accountable for them mm-hmm. and it's you know it's hard it's hard to have that conversation with someone who's like well forget what i did before right um <laughs> Um, but I'm here now and I'm like, I don't trust you. Right. Yeah. So it's because like trust is such a huge, big part of, of these conversations. Um, and it's just, I think, I think there's like a whole difference between being accountable and being, you know, cause like the, you know, just like the crime has to fit the punishment. Right. Yeah. And sometimes like people always talk about cancel culture and things like that. And, and I think that's like a very, um, cancel culture or calling calling reducing anything to cancel culture is yeah it's like it's very reductive um and i think uh i think that like sometimes people feel like being accountable means like any of the work that you you have done or any of the good work you have done doesn't matter and that's also not true right so as much as like you've done bad in the past you've also done good in the past um, and being a part, being accountable is like making sure that you have an honest inventory of that. And that's what you bring to the conversation because your experiences in both is, are, are also building blocks. Yeah. You know? Well, and also this knowledge that you'll continue to do good and you'll continue to do harm probably. Yeah. And that yeah. you have to be open to those adjustments. Not like, you know, the people who want to continue to do harm go away, but you know, yeah. even yeah. if you don't want to, this is a society that's got it just infused we as humans. Yeah. And I think it's about having, um, uh, Ophira and I'm Ophira, my co-curator from, um, our cities on our stages over the last weekend. Uh, we, we talk about framework a lot hmm. and, um, and having the appropriate framework to, to do something. So for example, if you're facilitating a workshop and you're going to, uh, be dealing with lots of different intersections of identities, um, it's always important to like, you know, you can have different, you, you can have uh, different frameworks for different things. Like, so some people have a better understanding of their privilege than other people, or some people have a better understanding of um, identity politics than others. Right. Yep. Um, and a lot of that can come from experience, from just from education, from, you know, um, yeah, experience, lived experience, uh, uh, lived, yeah. Um, and, and all of that comes to, comes to play um yeah when you're especially like like when you're tasked with leading or or being a part of like anything that's sort of justice related or you know Mm -hmm. um yeah so it's 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 really because like people who do this kind of work they kind of look at the things you have done that they're aware of right and and it's easy to see like well that person (laughs) literally didn't do the work because they didn't recognize their privilege in so, so, and so. Yeah. And it's going to be difficult to be able to trust them with very, with a very vulnerable conversation. Right. Well, this, this brings me to another thing that you brought up both during um, panel discussions and also even just now is this notion of bravery. Mm -hmm. Is that something that's been on your mind lately? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think like, the thing that makes this all of these conversations hard is just that it, it does require an act of bravery and like taking a leap of faith, you know. Um, so a lot of people who have to, for example, call in or call out members of their community, like let's say specifically in the comedy community, where we've had like we've had like a history of um, what do you call it, you know, like there are consequences if you speak out sometimes and that that consequence uh, is basically whether or not you get invited to do shows or whether or not you get put forward as not right. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so there, that is like, it is brave for anyone to do that in the first place because you, you're always like, um, whenever you call someone out in the comedy community, you're, you're immediately putting your, your career at risk, your network at risk. Um, so there's, there's that bravery, but there's also like bravery and being vulnerable, right? So sometimes when people like just share their experiences for the benefit of the community, um, 
you know, you there's a lot of labor that gets put in that and the education and the questioning that happens afterwards. Like, you know, you know that like when you share something difficult, people are going to ask questions and you're going to be, you're going to be picked apart sometimes to yeah. be honest, but some people still do it and that's brave. And, um, I think a lot of art is brave too, because for the same reasons, like, the end of the day, especially as artists, like a lot of that work is like just our personal experience that yeah. gets picked apart, but like in a, in a very like commodified way. Um, yeah. Well, there was something, and there was something you brought up in the panel about like, you know, about, um, you know, how can we support our, the people on our stages to be brave and to be political and to be active in the work that they're putting on stage. And it's, it's a thought that like, you know, I've thought about in certain ways, my entire career, but also like the last couple of days, since you said that I was like, yeah, we, we, we are, we reward escapism. And I don't think escapism doesn't have a place, but it's Mm -hmm. so comfortable. Yeah. Yes. I think, yeah, that's a really good way (laughs) <laughs> that, that is a lot of the comedy that's happening right now in a nutshell but yeah I think I think comedy is so powerful right and like and I you know in a lot of the work that you've done you've done a lot of like you know woman forward shows which is great like that is brave but a lot of we need to have like a bigger momentum of people who are creating like that yeah um, because comedy you know I always I forget who told me this, but someone was like, you know, the jester is the person who can tell, who can speak the truth and not get, um, yeah. <laughs> right. And that's, I take that very seriously. And like, there is, um, so for example, the Tita collective, mm-hmm. um, we didn't, we didn't start this way. We, we just wanted to bring six Filipino women on one stage as a comedy troupe, because that notion was kind of like unheard of. Yeah. Like, two years ago when we started, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, even, like, women, because, like, um, She the People ha- happens sort of around the same time. So even six women, like, on one stage together. Yeah, She the right? People, like, for those listening, is a six-woman show. There's a few different iterations, but that Second City did in Toronto, Chicago, possibly elsewhere, I'm not sure. Yeah, so it was, like, this great thing where, you know, but especially like six women of color, specifically Filipinas, we yeah. were, to- were told. So when we started, we, our whole thing was just like, you know, we want to elevate how people look at Filipino comedy. That's how we started. But then the more we did it, and, you know, um, a lot of our sketches are written very much in the Second City style, because that's what me and Izzy, um, Izzy learned. So that basic, so we basically are taught that like, you have to have a strong point of view, and then you kind of play with that right so the more we performed it um and there were there were topics that we cared about but um that were often difficult to talk about with like our filipino elders so you know um talking about lgbtq um awareness transphobia um, even like patriarchy, like patriarchy, yeah. the conversation in, in our, in the diaspora community sometimes is like not as advanced as, you know, other places. And, um, and so we didn't really realize, like, we just wrote that because that was the way that we were taught in second city. And then, you know, we kept inviting like, um, Filipino people of all ages to our shows. And what we didn't realize was, um, yeah, some people were going to get offended, but some people were also like, whoa no one ever really talks about this and I'm laughing about it. Mm. And now I feel empowered to have this conversation. So we kind of just discovered that that was like something that we were doing. Yeah. And that's when I started getting uh, like starting to feel a little bit more responsible for what we're putting up there. And that's brave and scary. Yeah, it was scary. Honestly, like the first, um, so the first time we put it up, we were scared because uh, we have one character named Tita Boy who is like gender non-binary, and that's sort of where we approach the like approach transphobia a little bit as well. Yeah. Um. And yeah, like we were scared. We didn't know how people were going to react. And then we had um, even in our fringe run, um, we <laughs> we were like, how are we going to sell one thousand four hundred tickets because it's French runs are usually a run of seven shows, and we happen to have um, a 200-seat venue, which was yeah. wild. Um, and we were just really scared. We're like, 
what if Filipinos don't feel represented in this or are too offended by our content and just tell everyone not to go? And then also, what if no one cares? You know, that's the other thing. I think that's the worst. Yeah. I think I think it's it's great when people are offended, to be honest, because it's like, okay, we've made an impact. Not great, but you know what I mean? It's still, you've made, like, kind of an impact. But when someone doesn't care, <laughs> that's the worst. That's the worst. But but they, they, they did. Mm-hmm. Um, they did. And that sort of... My experience with that has made me more, yeah, has made me more sensitive or more, and more appreciative of people putting out work that's like really personal and really brave. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. And, and I know that fear. I mean, like I did, I started doing improv shows at the fringe, like in 2002, I think. And um, if I was in a improv group with guys, I'd get them to flyer because then audience, the audience members were more likely to come. Oh, wow. <laughs> a woman saying I'm doing an improv show a lot of the people wouldn't come yeah I can't like yeah, yeah. that's wild and they'd say that to my face Yeah, sometimes <laughs> anyway, so, we've come a long a, way it's, it's true it's true it's funny because like when I was um, I, came, I started doing improv classes maybe like five years ago and at that time um, there's still a lot a lot of men but at that time like Bad Dog was already being led by all women, and then, you know, um, uh, you and Kayla were, like, a very established duo, so I had, like, you folks to look up to, and then, of course, like, Anne Fernal was there. Mm-hmm. But, like, I, I'm reminded that, like, that it wasn't that long ago where you were really fighting for stage time still. Yeah, um, yeah, with Kayla, with the Sufferettes, I actually recently, in, in thinking back, I've been thinking back on a lot of sort of things in the community that have been really hard and hurtful, to be quite honest. (laughs) You know, again, taking that break and being like, oh my gosh, I have time to look back at how fucked up this all was. Mm -hmm. Um, I realized I think we're the only female, all-female improv group to ever win a Canadian Comedy Award. Oh. Because who else would it be? Maybe women fully clothed won one? They might have, but they did sketch more. Anyway. Yeah. But I was like, I didn't even stop to think about that. I'm like, gosh, just two women is like still somehow revolutionary. Yeah doesn't yeah. feel like it should be anymore. Why, why is that still a thing? Yeah. Um, do you think about, so you kept saying sort of like you write in the second city style because that's what you knew. Or have you, do you think, do you like it? Do you want to stick with it? Um, I think like as a collective, uh, well, as a collective, like obviously our, our style has evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, yeah, that is what we started because, um, that's what we started with because that was, you know, Izzy and I did the conservatory program. So, like, it was a pretty simple route to follow. But now, like, now that we understand each other, like, having worked together for two years, which is, this is the longest I've ever worked with a with a collective in comedy. So yeah. now we're, we're, like, really learning each other's ways of working, everyone's strengths. Um... And we just now all we do is like we find joy, whether it's POV heavy or not. Yeah. And um, some people are stronger improvisers than than the others. And so we kind of mix and match styles. Yeah. I mean, the stuff you're saying just makes me wonder, like, what is what's coming next when it comes to process and creation? Because I think everything's on the table to change radically right now. That excites me. Yeah. Yeah, and I think even the, the, the conversation about process, like, I feel like I only really learned that process was an important thing maybe two year, two three years ago. I didn't really understand that, which is funny because, I mean, not not to knock, like, like, obviously you have a lot to learn in a year, especially a lot of people who go into that program aren't necessarily, like, or don't identify as artists or don't have um, artistic practices when they join. Right? You mean Second City? Yeah, 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 yeah. Joined the Second City Conservatory program. I certainly did. I was coming from a very corporate background and kind of stumbled upon this program. Um, but yeah, like just the idea that like artistry and craft are are quite different, and you know your process is your own to discover, and then that also changes when you work with the collective. So those ideas are very new to me, and I feel like now in the comedy community, or maybe it's because like I've you know, I've been here five years and now I'm talking to people with more experience. Um, but like as a newer, as a newer artist, like I don't really hear about people's processes. The only thing that I heard all the time was like, well, in seven years, you'll find your voice. 
What? <laughs> it's just like this magic seven Is year. Is that what you were told? The seven year itch. <laughs> Yeah, but like in, I think in stand up, a lot of people say like, oh, you know, you'll find your voice in seven years. Like that's sort of what you heard. Right. But then like, you really, if you break that down, it's like, okay, because you're going to find out the things that you care about, like, you know, artistically, and you're going to find out what you're like, what you, what, um, uh, what tactics or what, like, what style you like to play in. And then you figure out like how much rehearsal, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, I don't. I I always bristle against any of those like absolutist proclamations. <laughs> seven years. I heard that so often. I'm like, all right. So I just set my timer for seven years. Like I'll be a full comedian then, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I worked with you quite a few years ago. And you seemed quite like a full comedian at that point. So I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's very kind. Sometimes I look at stuff that I I wrote like last year, and I'm like, oh my god, what are they thinking? But, that's how um, it always is i think <laughs> i think it just keeps being like that like yeah i have to say my generation's lucky that um there weren't as many video cameras everywhere <laughs> and that everything wasn't online and like it was so ephemeral i've forgotten probably some of the most horrible things i've done <laughs> like quality wise <laughs> content everything who knows or who knows like you know what though um i find like TikTok and YouTube folks are kind of killing it and they're putting the weirdest shit out there. Yeah, they are. Yeah. yeah. It's like quite, it's funny, like when I'm comparing sort of um, the kinds of things that, that get talked about in maybe live comedy settings versus the things that get talked about on YouTube and what gets shared, it's really just like somehow a certain communities limit themselves a lot and whereas YouTube and TikTok everything's fair game and is hilarious yeah so so there's definitely I was like okay well there's definitely something to learn to learn there especially as we're talking about how do we bring live comedy online you know what I mean so the kids are already doing it (laughs) they're already doing it they're being weird and they are being weird honestly I'm, I'm I'm at that age now where I'm kind of like I don't understand (laughs) <laughs> understand the rhythm of like the next generation at all <laughs> yeah how is the joke that you copied wait i have to know who you copied to oh gosh <sighs> give me a virginia wolf novel <laughs> <laughs> um uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna get to the big question of the podcast like how do you relate to the notion of hope now whenever however <laughs> um I think, like, generally, I'm a very hopeful person. Like, even though my voice can feel very cynical and I, I can seem kind of jaded sometimes, that's just, you know, but I am, I always do, I always believe that, like, at the end of the day, people, people make the best choices, like, will try to make the best choices for themselves. And, like, that's something to, to go with. You know, I don't think, I don't think people would, I don't think people are, like, really that bad. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, you know what I mean? I, it's weird because, like, I know I complain about people a lot. I'm like, oh, my God, everyone sucks. But I genuinely think that, like, like we'll be fine. I don't know. Like, I try not to overthink that. But, like, I genuinely think we'll be fine. And, you know, as much as, for example, like, as much as, like, the pandemic is like, oh, my God, Jeff Bezos is, like, $70 billion richer from this, like, <laughs> yeah. old work, like, this crisis. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, you know what makes me happy? That I discovered Dill. <laughs> like I, that I really, really, really love Dill as an herb. And that's given me more joy than anything. Oh, you know what? I um, I was inspired by you to... And I'm going to share this as a joyful tip to listeners. If you do eat butter and sage, fry sage oh and butter and eat it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's it. Dill and sage, right? Like, so I don't know. It's... um. Okay, so it's small acts of resilience. So so this is sort of like kind of where I've been focusing on right now, like how joy is small acts of joy is is resilience. So like putting dill in your potato salad and then and remembering the joy of that and putting or deep frying sage and butter or like realizing you love your apartment so much now because like you put a lot of care in like thousands of dollars maybe I don't know I don't know how much I spent on plants but (laughs) (laughs) you know like they're they're, like small love letters to yourself and your own life and and I feel hopeful from that because that's you know that's all I can really build off of and and those moments of joy are real you know like no one's gonna take that away from me and and 
the more you you create joy like that, the more resilience you can build so that you can like, you know, take your turn at the bat when you're fighting those like difficult or having those difficult conversations. Exactly. It's like finding a balance in those two. And that's what I was going to say. I was going to be like, you know, don't just spend thousands of dollars on your apartment. <laughs> <laughs> don't just. Yeah. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. you are a person who puts a lot of energy into the community and into other people, as, as I have seen. Oh, thanks. Insane, right? Oh, like, we we all we all we all need to take turns. Like that's that's the thing, right? We we all need to take turns um, lifting each other up. We also need to take turns um, resting. So I think that's, and I do believe that like there's enough people in the community who are genuinely interested and committed to that. I have to believe that, and that's what I choose to believe. Yeah. So I will. I will do my part, like filling my well, and then taking, you know, taking my turn. Yeah, and it it also feels like I mean I I um I've been having a lot of conversations in the past few weeks about sort of like you know calling stuff out and wh- what's your responsibility with your privilege and what is mm-hmm. just useless more aggression kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that has come out of a bunch of these conversations is like you're. You're also active if you're waiting and listening for when it's your turn mm-hmm. and when someone needs you mm-hmm. or yeah. when someone needs support or someone else has spoken out. You just keep your eyes and ears open to be there for those people. Yeah, I think it's so strong. It's it's so powerful to witness because sometimes, again, like we were talking about, the worst thing is when someone puts something out there and then it feels like no one cares. It yeah. feels really yeah like you feel kind of empty and <laughs> sad and and uh, but when someone whenever you do that and someone reaches out and says i see you that's actually like a very very powerful thing yeah, yeah and i think actually i don't know who needs to hear this out there but like reaching out to say i see you is super important when someone's yes. putting themselves out on the line, even on the back end, you don't have to also speak out publicly. There's so many reasons not to. Yeah. But like for something I went through, that was really, I didn't, you know, I didn't walk into it with any expectation that I should receive all these messages, but I was scared and it helped. <laughs> I will say yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And I know That's... that there's also people who are like, oh, should I even say anything or reach out? You should. Yeah. I don't... feel like people know. A lot of people don't. Uh, I don't know who's listening to this, but like from the experience I went through, a lot of people like were like, "This is no big deal." Can't see, can't see how scary it is for any marginalized person, including women, to put themselves out on the line. That any any woman who does that, I'm just speaking from my own experience. Yeah, um, it will harm them in some way. Yeah, actually, you know what? Specifically, like as a message to uh, cis white men. (laughs) Yeah. If you're going to tear down a woman who's put herself out there, like, think it, just think again, you know? Think again. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's always, I always find that women leaders, women leaders are disproportionately called out, you know? Yeah. And it's always under the guise of, like, oh, you know, oh, they're being gatekeepers. But I'm like, there have been men who are in leadership positions for years and years and years and years. And have basically been the art. Are they the architects of the status quo? The status quo exists under their leadership, right? Architects, defenders of it. The yeah. women who I have seen be called out, and I have had many conversations over the last couple months with women who are in positions similar to my own, have accepted responsibility for what they've done. They've worked to dismantle to the best of their ability. They've taken on the mantle. And I watch the guys go, nope. Yeah. This cis straight white dudes and that's not of course it's not all because uh, i appreciate the people the guys who aren't doing that but the ones who are just like no i'm going to call you a liar i'm going to deny all this and i'm going to defend my power yeah and and it's just a practice and actually it's not just this i think it's just we've got a lot of internalized misogyny yeah everywhere it's mostly them <laughs> it's mostly them but it's not always them yeah but like um just as a practice in equity if you see a a woman leader um, being called out or woman of color leader, like being called out, ask yourself, why, why them? Why are they being called out? This is a practice in equity. And then maybe give them a little bit more benefit of the doubt. But then at the end of the day, right? Like once, once you've done that work and you're like, you know what? They are being called out and need to be held accountable. 
then fine. But pause. Like, sometimes people don't pause <laughs> and just think and just think. But, like, I don't know. Like, I, I barely call myself a community leader. And I've been called out more in the three years that I've held this, like, arts administrator position than I've seen, like, men who've held their positions for, like, decades. So... That's wild to me. I know. <laughs> That's know? such a big one, Elia, too. And I also wonder if it's like, it's easier to call out the people who you know will listen. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. But is that fair? It's not fair. <laughs> I've just been thinking about this a lot. Like, you know, you you will you might actually get a result with these women. Yeah. And honestly, none of us hold the same amount of power. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Like, it's kind of like picking off what? Fruit I'm not going to ruin anyone's career. I mean, I, I'm sure I have the power to affect people's careers negatively, but like, mm-hmm. not to the same extent. Yeah, which is well. But you know, I mean, we we fight on, and you know, we take turns. Also, try not to tear down a woman of color. <laughs> there aren't very many. There aren't very many in leadership positions. There's literally like a handful. In, in our community. So quit picking on. I, I swear every single woman of color um, artist administrator that I know has been called out in the last year. Really? Yeah. Oof, I've been paying, <laughs> I have not been paying close enough attention. I'm sorry. Yeah, but I mean, and don't get me wrong, like I've, I've called in some of them. That's my, like for women of color that and women generally. That's, and, and like producers that I know that do really good work, but I'm like, you've been doing problematic things. I've called them in. Um, and it, and that's also like, you have to talk, think about relative privilege too. I've yeah. called out, I've called out white men because I know I have my relative privilege compared to them is nothing. Do you know, so. um, do you know Raven Wings? You no. Heard of her? Um, I think that's her name. It's her handle on Instagram. I, th- I also believe that she's she's been involved in Black Lives Matter Toronto activity and might be on the steering committee. I'm not sure. I really should know. But uh, she did like an Instagram live that I watched yesterday, the day before. Um, it was just sort of like she had done an interview and then she just wanted to talk. And there was some really amazing stuff there. I, I'm going to look up and see if it's still online. But one of the things she said was like, you know, um, she was like, these guys all they care about is money and their reputation. So that's what we yeah. got to come for. Cause it's the only thing that matters, nothing else yeah. matters. You yeah. have to do this publicly because it's the only way to shake any sense into them. Yeah. That is a very good point. And it just hit me right. It was like, yep. Yep. Yeah. Because nothing else has worked. I've been at yeah. this 25 years and I've had conversations with some people over and over and over again. I was in those spaces of power, allegedly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're inching along. (laughs) But it does feel like big things are happening. I mean, like, we're seeing it across the arts sector, anyway. And, you know, some places slower than other, but this is faster than anything I've seen in my two and a half decades doing this. Yeah, and I'm really excited. You have, like, first of all, like, I've definitely... I've reflected, I'm sure a lot of people have been reflecting a lot, um, especially artists who continue to create or don't, but I'm excited to see what happens after this because it feels like we're all in this big incubator where a lot of things where people are starting to realize they have voices or, or realize they really care about certain things or, um, or are shifting priorities. And then something's going to happen. I don't know. Like we're all, we're going to get the vaccine. Then like a whole, bunch of cool work activism wise art wise is going to happen yeah it's like it's like this is the hopeful unknown of how do we emerge from this and like i don't think we need to mourn what we've lost because well sorry we've lost some very (laughs) important things we've lost people (laughs) i'm sorry but on another level um we're we're also say on an arts level what we're putting to sleep is just bad useless stuff Stayed, boring, absolutist, capitalist monopolies that, you know, you only want a monopoly if you don't want to keep pushing and competing and making new work and pushing yourself. To me, monopolies mean you want to be lazy. Yeah. Yes. And um, I was talking to Julie Dumay Osborne a while ago. And, you know, we kind of, first of all, where we came from in the Toronto scene was unbelievably riddled with problematic everything. But... Um, the scene in Toronto was like, you know, 
us kids approaching different venues and putting shows up there. Mm-hmm. Like it was a fertile place where we could develop our voice on our own without anyone telling us what to do, just getting our own stage time. And, mm-hmm. you know, who knows where we're going to come out of this, but something looking like that is a very viable option. Yeah. I mean, and it's sort of starting too now with people doing comedy where they can, that's safe or people bringing their voices to different mediums too. It's really exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so yeah, I have to say it's stuff that I felt cynical and hopeless about. And now like the kids are giving me energy. Yeah. And, but that's, a, you know what? That's actually, I love that you said like the kids are giving me energy. Cause like I do watch these TikToks and as much as I'm like, this is weird. I'm like also <laughs> very inspired by it. And uh, a lot of like, there's a lot, there's like a weird collectivism in TikTok too. And like the, the change that they can like, you know, even that Trump stuff, it's like, it's yeah. like Trump versus TikTok. How is that? <laughs> that's, that's awesome. And, and they're doing it with humor. They're doing I everything know. we're asking, like flat out in your face activism and jokes. Yeah. And for me, that's that is brave comedy. That is like amazing. And I really think that, you know, a new age of that is is coming up. I mean, it's already here. And so I, I think like a lot of us could learn from from the kids. <laughs> yeah, we got to stop being like weird lying influencers, my generation. <laughs> stop it with your lies about how happy your family is so that you can sell surfboards. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, well, I guess that's it. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say? Uh, not much else, but outside of don't buy a fiddly fig if you... Get your heart broken. Yeah. Very, actually, fiddly fig is such an influencer lie, right? It is an influencer lie. Here's the thing, right? Like every single plant influencer has like a ginormous one, makes you feel like you can do it, but really it's just buying yourself three months of heartache, so don't do it. Yeah, man, get a snake plant. Get you a can snake plant. Aban- yeah. They're beautiful. You can abandon them. They're unkillable, almost. <laughs> Set yourself up for success. <laughs> Set yourself up for success. Well, Elia, I'm excited to see you on the airwaves. I'm excited to see what's next from Tita Collective. You guys got any plans? Yeah, we're actually... Um, so we were supposed to travel to Winnipeg in September to be a part of the FemFest, um, Sarah's Body uh, Theater's fest- uh, annual cool. festival. Um, but instead of traveling because we don't want to do that um they're going to give us um some budget to go hang out at a cottage and try to attempt to live stream uh, a cottage version of our show tita jokes from there oh my goodness whatever that might look like so i'm excited (laughs) it's gonna be like tita collective meets cabin in the woods (laughs) yeah basically yeah (laughs) Well, I'm so excited. Uh, Alia, thank you so much for this conversation. This has been wonderful. Fertile like a fertile like an indoor outdoor garden. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. H-Word Podcast is produced by me, Becky Johnson, from Parkdale in Toronto. Artwork this week by Shannon Gerard, and our theme music, as always, by Laura Barrett. For information on all our artists and guests, please follow us everywhere at The H-Word Pod, or sign up for our newsletter at thehwordpod.com. Hold up. 